Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems. But getting therapy has its own problems, too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and, of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello, friends, and welcome to A Little More Good the podcast where myself, Dean Morris, or Deaner, and my good pal, Zach Berman of The Juice Truck, explore themes that light us up. Things like human potential, coexisting with our planet and its inhabitants, and the fascinating area where wellness, mindfulness, sustainability, movement, business, and our own evolution and adventure intersect. A Little More Good is inspired by community and our collective potential. It is inspired by those that have walked this path before us, both locally and globally. Our mission is to connect intentionally and genuinely with the goal of planting seeds that foster growth and help us all discover the fullness of our own human potential. So join us as we have fun and meaningful conversations centering on human stories that inspire us to get out and live full, healthy, and meaningful lives. Our intention is to create dialogue that is not only interesting to listen to, but inspires you to take what you've learned through the conversation and apply it to your own life in a meaningful way. So let's get to it, and together we can create a little more good. We're excited this week to have longtime friend Val Litwin on. Uh, we've known Val since we launched the Juice Truck 10 years ago and, um, you know, have kind of followed each other's paths ever since. Uh, Val is the co-founder of Blow Blow Dry Bar, uh, a first-to-market uh, hair experience. Uh, he was the president of Franchise Operations for Nurse Next Door, uh, CEO and president of the BC Chamber of Commerce, uh, just to name a few of his uh, accolades. He is also a family man. Um, a leader in the most, in the truest uh, sense, uh, Val is someone that we've gone to time and time again uh, when we've needed some guidance. He brings mindfulness and experience to the business sector. Uh, we're excited to sit down with Val, talk about his past, and uh, break some news on uh, what's awaiting Val for the future. We're excited for his next steps, and I hope you will be too. Tune in and uh, listen in to what, uh, what Val's got going on. Right, uh, welcome back to a little more good. We're here with a longtime friend, 
uh, Val Litwin. First connected with Val, um, we were just chatting about this before we hit record. Uh, before we launched the juice truck, we did all these tasting groups, focus groups, where we'd have these little shot glasses and pour all these, you know, smoothie concoctions and juices and get everyone to write what they thought on cue cards. And um, Val was at one of our, our original tastings before we launched the juice truck, so he was uh, very formidable in, you know, the menu and the experience that uh, we launched 10 years ago now. So welcome, Val. Hey, it's so awesome to be here. And um, yeah, that was a fun memory jamming on that. I, I remember sitting on that couch, getting that little Dixie cup, <laughs> yeah. writing my notes down. You guys have come a long way. It's been fun to watch. We actually still have the like black book with everyone's feedback in it. So oh, no way. If, I, if I dig it up from the archives, I can see, uh, you know, that's actually one of our original smoothies that you're having now, the strawberry coconut. You wow. Would, you would have tasted that back then. So um See see if you what you thought about it. You, you planted it deep in my psyche because I'm drinking it ten years <laughs> yes, later, yes, fifteen one, right? years later. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, yeah. So thank you for uh, you know helping us finalize our menu and um, you know we'll get into your business background. But I remember you had some like you know strong leading questions that made us question mm -hmm. things um, as we were kind of forming the identity of the business. So I'll, uh, overdue, thank you for. Thank, uh, well, hey, thank <laughs> you for that. Um, so yeah, let's, let's kind of jump into you. Um, you grew up in Victoria. Mm -hmm. uh, what was it like growing up there? What was your family like? Um, you know, kind of take us from childhood to, you know, maybe, um, you know, university. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I'll, I'll give you, I'll, I'll go sh shortish and Swedish. And if yeah. something sounds really good, you just, you just tell me, but yeah, no, I, I loved growing up on the Island. So, um, my my dad built our family home. He was a builder, no way. And uh, so we, it, it's like an old story now. You just don't hear people talking about right. Like you know, my parents built my home. I grew up in that home. They still live in that home. Um, and we were raised as outdoor kids, my brother and I. So I have one younger sibling. He's about a year and a half younger now. Lives in Sydney, Australia. Yeah. Um, has three beautiful kids down there, which is sort of the heart wrenching part because I've got two young kids and they've got these three beautiful cousins on the other side of the world. They don't get to hang out too much, but Zoom is helping us a little bit with that. Um, but yeah, I, I just remember loving being on the island in a smaller community. I mean, Victoria's not a small town, but. I remember having that sense as, you know, when the family occasionally went to Vancouver, I loved coming back to the island. Yeah. And my parents always put a high value on outdoor time. And I, I assume a big part of that was also, you know, it, it didn't cost any money to get in the forest or go to the beach and skip stones or, you know, go camping, which was a, a big part of what we did growing up. Um, I, yeah, I had, you know, my junior school, high school years there, and then ultimately went to UVic on the island. Oh, and, you did. Um, yeah, yeah, I did. I was, uh, I was sort of like one of those conflicted um, young, early, almost twenty-somethings who assumed I had to get my you-know-what together and get a business degree and go out and engage in the economy out, outside that was happening outside. Started with a business degree. It wasn't lighting me up. Funnily enough, which it's kind of hilarious because that's where my path really did end up taking me. But I just thought, you know, I can't do it. It's not connecting with me. So I, I did a ton of philosophy in English, ultimately graduated um, honors English lit. And I think now when I look back, that my whole career has really been about communicating and, um, you know, supporting communities, organizations, and, and the groups I've been a part of through some sort of a transition in communication has always been a part of that. And that's always been how I've really connected with people is through words and dialogue and, and 
kind of scenes like this, right? Um, so I love the island. And if, uh, if the stars align, my, my wife and my young kids, we might get there again someday soon. Return back home. That's, yeah. you know, we all, I grew up in Steve Center. I'm back living, living here. I think there's a, a tendency to yeah. return to our origins in some ways. Yeah. yeah. It's hard to break that gravity sometimes, yeah, right? Yeah. Like there's so much emotion associated with where you came from. And yeah, that's true. It's a good place to raise kids to like, you know, with the proximity to nature and water. And, um, I find as a, as a visitor, when I come to Victoria, it's in some ways, even though it's like a smaller town, it's in some ways like ahead of what's going to happen in the cities too. Like Victoria's always had, you know, all the vegetarian options mm-hmm. and the environmental groups and, um, like just a little bit more connected to like a holistic, um, way of living. Yeah. And you know, that, that is probably an important thing to mention too. The, the island and my parents really shaped me in an interesting way too, right? Because yeah. the island is all those things you mentioned, right? Like it's, it is an, it is a bit of a bubble, right? Mm-hmm. You, you have to hop on a ferry or a seaplane typically to get there. Um, and there is a certain ethos on the island that's connected to the environment and it's progressive and all these things. Um, but you know, my dad was a builder. He was a businessman. My mom was a journalist. So she was very connected to current affairs and politics. And, you know, she had the police beat and the municipal beat and then the ledge beat, Mm. um, as a cubby reporter. So she worked her way through that. So as, you know, as kids, we grew up in this, in this, um, matrix of this really cool, beautiful, environment of the island in a very progressive progressive political milieu probably um but then my parents you know were in business and a journalist so they were engaging in a different way with the Mm. world and so my brother and i had a really fun upbringing i remember um you know one of my favorite things of course was when mom came home every day she would have interviewed someone cool and interesting so dinner conversations were never boring. And I remember one day she came home and she said, oh, I interviewed this really interesting doctor today. His name was Deepak Chopra. This was, come on, yeah, this was before he, he totally blew up. And she was trying to explain to us what DNA was. And we were like, we don't really understand what you're talking about. Because <laughs> yeah, yeah. Deepak really popularized like a lot of the things that are kind of pop culture science now, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but that was, that was dinner with mom. She so always had, yeah, dad was always a really cool business mentor. And mom was this... Um, huge perspective, expansive thinker, always pulling information and, and great at drawing people out. And she always had so many great stories. Wow. Did you pick up any of dad's handy skills? <laughs> I remember splitting and carrying a lot of wood yeah. as a kid. Like that was how we heated the house. It was like, we'd have a couple of cords of wood dumped and it was always up to my brother and I just split it and stack it. Um, yeah, we picked up stuff along the way. Probably more demo than anything. I remember, <laughs> I remember digging out a lot of fence posts uh, up island um, at some, you know, some places he was working on. And but yeah, nice, nice uh, hands-on stuff. Cool, very yeah. cool. So okay, went to UVic. Uh, what did you move to Vancouver after that, or what was the the step post graduation? Yeah, so. After I left university, I started a social enterprise with with my best friends, my three best friends. It was called uh, Extreme Kindness, yes. and it was in reaction to September 11th when when the towers came down, and we were just sort of, you know, we we hadn't yet graduated, but we were sitting in this community conversation of shock and fear, and what next. Like I was saying to some people the other day, you don't if if you didn't live through September 11th, you don't remember how chill airports were before and then how it looked like a police state after for a period of time and everyone thought this is the beginning of the end like we're moving to a totally new paradigm in terms of how we have to protect communities Mm -hmm. and 
we're living in fear in a different way. Um, so we were sitting in that kind of going, gosh, you know, what could we do to remind communities of their innate power to build social capital, to, you know, create community connections through random acts of kindness. So mm. we, we went out to the corporate world in Canada. We raised a couple hundred thousand bucks and we just said, yeah, we're deckling up an, a 34 foot motorhome, and we're going to hit every, well, every, every, as many towns as we can between Victoria and St. John's, Newfoundland. Yes. So we were on the road for 110 days. And the, the MO was just random acts of kindness in every community we went to, except it was extreme kindness. So we would do performance art kind of stuff on the street, kindness protests. My belief is we were the guys that started the, the free hugs movement oh, yeah, okay. 20, 20 years ago. Yeah. So we do, uh, you know, these fun sort of almost um, performance art stuff. But then we, you know, we'd staff soup kitchens. We go speak at schools. We, you know, spent nights on the street with homeless people cooking food. <laughs> Um, we did, we did this whole range of things, but, but the, the, the charm and the excitement was you'd connect with community. You'd call on these volunteers that would come out of the woodwork and we tackle big community projects. And then we go into the next town and we did that for 110 days. That's amazing. And you guys, yeah. it was you and three of your, three of your friends and you like wrote a book, right? About this too, or yeah. kind of like chronal, um, captured the experiences right yeah so right. it was it was like um yeah it was a road chronicle but it was it was geared toward social responsibility and corporate social responsibility so we we paired our stories of being on the road with sort of um ways to structure community outreach and it, it the book was really interesting it became a canadian bestseller it went into a second edition yeah. the second edition was um called arms embrace a, a revolution in kindness I think that was the subtitle. Yeah. And we, we got on the, the corporate speaking circuit, okay. which was super fun because, you know, we'd have these captive big corporate audiences and our, the social enterprise of, of it was, you know, they would, they would pay us to come in and speak and share videos and stories. And it was a motivational kind of product, yeah. but we said our volunteer time and, we expect you to volunteer is to mobilize around a big community project while we come and speak to you in, Raleigh, North Carolina, right. you know, it'd be one place we went to. And so, you know, you might get a hundred, 200, a thousand employees out in community planting trees, volunteering at, you know, old folk homes, uh, that kind of stuff. So it was, uh, yeah, it was really fun. That's awesome. Yeah. We, we often talk about like the positive trail that we can leave behind and like, whether it be, you know, something like something as simple as going for a run and then, you know, someone sees you after and they feel like in, inspired to like try it again or try to get back out for the first time or whatever. And it seems like that, uh, that idea is embedded into this, like this social enterprise that you cooked up and created with some friends, like in this kind of like gap year, like, what are we doing? I don't know. Let's do something amazing. And it took obviously like a, a tragic event that literally changed the world. But then you think about how all of those communities that you touched maybe still like there's community gardens or like a new yeah. forest or these trees that are growing and people will see them and may never know that it was started from these guys, you know, yeah. in Vancouver or whatever. But yeah, the idea of like our, our actions and our intentions can create a positive trail and to always be aware of that. I think in our dealings throughout, throughout life. But I, I think uh, obviously the book, the, the, the social movement that you've did, you've done. Um, I'm really interested to hear what uh, even this year we've heard a lot about be calm, be kind. Yeah. Um, what is kindness like? What does that mean to you to be kind or, or this idea yeah. of kindness? Yeah, 
Yeah, you know, it's funny. That, that's a really profound question, actually. And I haven't, I've never been asked to think about it in, in quite that way. But yeah, I mean, I, I think to be kind calls us to be human mm. and to remember that we're um, a part of community, even when we're feeling like we're maybe not a part of community or we feel isolated or we're seeing another news report of an anti-Asian hate crime in the Lower Mainland here in particular. So mm-hmm. it's a call to remember your humanity and, and remember your community. And I, the, I think the thing that excited us so much about the tour was this idea of like the ripple effect and paying it forward. You know, n- no single act that we committed on the road was like light, probably life-changing for anyone, but it, it always set off a chain reaction. Yeah. And, and I remember even um, when, when the tour was over and, and we were still doing the social enterprise, I mean, it wasn't really making enough money for us to survive on. So we all had side gigs and I was a bartender in Victoria for a number of years. But I remember someone sitting at the bar and, you know, you always get into conversation with people, you know, what have you been up to these last couple of years? You talk about the extreme kindness tour. And it, it was, it happened more than once where someone would go, oh, you gave my grandmother hot chocolate in Winnipeg (laughs) on the corner of Portage and Maine. Like I remember her telling me about that story. So for me also kindness and compassion, giving back and the social capital stuff is about the ripples, right? It's the intent of putting something good out there. We don't know how it's always going to manifest, but we, we trust that we can create more good by, by a small gesture. Totally. Oh, that's awesome. Love that. And uh, kind of some of the, the words that you were saying there made me think of, um, a leadership program group that we were part of, Brew. Yeah. Um, and we all had our personal mission statements. And mm-hmm. um, I can still remember mine, I, th- I think. I think I'll have to look. I think it was uh, planting seeds that shift systems or something like that. Do you remember? I, yeah. I feel like yours had something to do with Ripple in it. Yeah, yeah. Good, very good memory. Yeah, no, I, I totally do because I, I live by it. Amazing. Um, it's uh, to launch and lead deep projects with brave teams. We make waves the world can ride. Um, I don't always share the last bit because I don't know why I should, I should share it more, but like the, the, the leading part of that I've shared with every team I've ever worked with mm-hmm. after, because it, it, for me, it, it is always about the crew you get to do the work with. Mm-hmm. And it's also been a really important filter for me to understand the kind of team I want to be a part of and work with to impact or create that change. And I have learned I can only work with courageous teams because the stuff that we're going to do will require some fortitude and some resilience and some courage because we're going to do some some new stuff. And, uh, you know, I found myself in places before we had the opportunity to articulate that purpose statement which yeah. with Judy Brooks, which was incredible, and, and Sharon and Mary. Yes. Um, but I, found my, I have found myself in places in life where I'm with the wrong team. And until I had that purpose filter for myself i didn't know i didn't always know what was wrong like what was missing right that's interesting that that was a great process and i kind of encourage uh if you're listening um to dive into your own personal mission statement um for me it helped bring a lot of clarity into to acting as a filter for for not only uh, my work life but uh kind of my overall decision making process Mm -hmm. um do you share it with people you know, I did a lot at the time uh, when I first kind of discovered it and, and um, brought language to it. Um, but I think it's kind of sat dormant for 
somewhere in the back of my brain for the last five years or so. I think I think that's the first time I've ever. Heard <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it honest. doesn't mean you're not activating it or, no. or yeah. living it, but yeah, it's I did write it out and put it up on my wall, like after after we did that um, exercise. So I, I see it all the time, but uh, I don't say it out loud enough. But I think yeah. it's true in the way in the way you carry yourself and live. Yeah, so, like it's, it resonated. I was like, oh yeah, that's you. Thanks, do, you do you have one, Dean? I don't know if I do. I mean, hearing yours and, and Zach's, it's like, oh, I should definitely like articulate something thoughtful. I think I'm a, what drives me is uh, to see, to see potential in other people and help them realize that potential. Mm-hmm. Um, and that really is something that, that lights me up. And there's also an element of kind of being uh, a bit of a disruptor to look at systems and structures of the status quo and, uh, ask ask the unaskable questions sometimes and say like mm-hmm. why is that the way it is and is there is there a better way or is there another way yeah. even that we can experiment yeah. with so I don't know I think I need to go I need to go with Ju- Judy Brooks yeah. I need to like we'll get her, her up and <laughs> she'll be on the pod oh yeah she'll be an amazing yes yeah. yeah she'd be so good yeah. you you've, you sound really clear on your purpose though so well, I appreciate that making yeah. the possible impossible that's your that's true that's like that's just that's my, tag. my favorite little tagline it's uh it only it only seems impossible, or it seems unpo- it seems impossible until it isn't. Yeah, yeah. And you just gotta you just gotta do it one step at a time. I love it. Um, so, moving forward, back to the analogy of water and waves, mm. um, and riding those waves. You physically ride those waves because you're a surfer, you're a paddleboarder. Um, you've gone on incredible journeys on your paddleboard. Uh, just kind of reading about some of those, like you've paddleboarded like 20 kilometers plus at a time. Yeah, yeah. It, uh, I've, I've definitely, as I'm aging, yeah. <laughs> I'm loving the lower impact of, of supping, paddleboarding, stand-up paddleboarding. Yeah. I, I used to surf a lot more. I, I wish I could do more. It's so hard. So I, you know, in the surfing community, I always, you always want to be careful about like, you know, I'm a surfer. I don't, I don't identify as a surfer. I love surfing. I own surfboards, but it, it is like harder than golf. It is such a lifelong sport. It's way harder yeah. than golf. Yeah. Um, but something has been amazing because, um, you don't need waves, right? You just need water. It, it can be fresh. It can be salt. It doesn't really matter. And yeah, no, I, the last couple of years I've done some fun trips, um, on the West coast of Vancouver Island in, in the broken group in Barkley sound, you know, doing fishing off the board has been really fun. So sort of catching, you know, your food as you go with a really good buddy of mine um, who's really a capable waterman. You know, you, you want to get out there with, with someone who is capable yeah. on the water because you might be looking out for them. They might be looking out for you. Mm-hmm. Um, How Sound has been just a nirvana to explore. I've I've done some fun big trips. Um, was over in Zorro Bay. Gosh, was it? Uh, I guess earlier this year, and um, that was that was amazing. Just you know, punching out from sort of um, Porto Cove, mm-hmm. and you do that crossing, and the water's so clear, and you're in the wilderness instantly. You know, hugging the shoreline, and you find a little beach and pitch a tent. It's awesome. Man, we're I, so spoiled here. I know we really are. I was reading uh, one of your paddleboard journeys. You're like paddleboarding at night, and there's phosphorescence everywhere. Tell us about that one. Oh my gosh! Yeah, so that was um, that was Desolation Sound, and so we left out of Lund, which is just north of um, you know uh, Powell River yeah. on the Sunshine Coast, and uh, I think we were base camping out of the Copeland Group. If I'm getting the if that's the islands, if those are right. But yeah, we we went down to Cortez, 
and uh, we were just we just had a beautiful day, and we were kind of looking at our watches and monitoring the weather reports, and just going, okay, like now would be the time for us to go. It was a long paddle back. I mean, I don't know how long it was, but it was not it was not like a sixty minute paddle. It was it was a long paddle. Yeah. But we were just having we, the the skies were clear. We had you know some moonlight, starlight, and um, yeah, it was just perfectly still and calm. The Copelands had, you know, the lighthouse on it. So we had perfect clarity of where the destination was. And we were just slipping over glass and, you know, the stars were reflecting the water. It was like floating in space, right? And, um, yeah, it was beautiful. You just, you hear the noises of nature around you and it was summer, so it wasn't super cold. And you just think, man, I could paddle forever mm. through, through this kind of ocean of stars and light. Yeah, it's cool. It sounds like the equivalent for us is like a runner's high or something like that. Yeah, totally. Right. You yeah. just get in the zone. The yeah. perfect run. Yeah, that's right. You just like feel like you're, yeah. you feel like you're yeah. floating. I mean, I'll, I will say because I don't want people to think you, you like this is a good idea to go out and do and paddle <laughs> long distances in the dark. I mean, we had we had all you know our our safety equipment. We were in a group. We were hand railing uh, along the coastline, and um, you know you're wearing your PFDs and all that stuff, but. If you're with an experienced crew and you know exactly where you're going, it's yeah. Um, yeah, it was spectacular. Can be done. So I know you have like a, a background in, in mindfulness and meditation. Did you find the paddleboarding, the supping, kind of had a similar effect uh, for your your mental clarity, your mental health, uh, spending that time in nature, that that physical um, aspect that kind of can take you out of your your headspace? Um, did those two kind of uh, processes connect? You know what? I don't think I've ever consciously thought of them as going together, but for sure, I appreciate that they're a part of like a healthy mental diet. You know, like I need a little bit of this, I need a little bit of that. Um, you know, nature time, there's a ton of research on that. And in fact, I think in Japan, this notion of uh, forest bathing. Yeah, Shiranyoku. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I love it. Well, you need to answer a few questions now. <laughs> but like, you know, it's documented if you can get that time in nature. It's hugely restorative. It's great for your mental health. Um, I understand it's really helpful for people that have gone through trauma. I'm not an expert, but um, just very light reading. So yeah, I appreciate the power of getting out into nature. For me, meditation is something you can do when you also can't get into nature, right? You can maybe squeeze in a quick 20-minute meditation in the morning or the evening. And uh, for me, it's about stress dissolution, right? Like for, for a lot of people, it's a spiritual thing. For me, it's, um, it, it's spiritual in a sense that I'm grounding myself and I'm becoming more present but it's selfishly about my mental health and physical health. It lowers my blood pressure. It reduces and um, releases rather endorphins. Um, I feel more creative coming out of a meditation. Um, so I am a very selfish meditator. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, for me, it really connects to performance. That's awesome. It's okay. amazing. Like the, the ancient wisdom of, you know, these people, sages and gurus and everything for, thousands of years before like this has yeah. been this has yeah. been what they've done right yeah. and yeah. here we are all these modern people and we're all downloading calm and headspace and stuff on our phones because yeah. we're, we're like oh yeah meditation is like yeah. it actually works right yeah. science yeah. has shown what people have known all along yeah. but whatever it takes to get people into it and like yeah. looking out for their own mental health and that translates into creativity yeah. physical well-being and yeah. just being more present as a dad or a partner or whatever it might be right yeah. at home in the office and you know i think that's an important message for people like it doesn't matter what religion you practice. You can, you can engage with a mindfulness practice as well. And, and, you know, most religious traditions have some sort of a mindfulness practice. But for me, this is not, a, this is a secular practice for yeah. me. 
um, but with profound benefits too. Mm. I know you've talked about it in the past as a, as a tool for, for business, like coming into a meeting yeah. and having some time to meditate before or whatnot. Have you used it as a tool in your parenting life as well? <laughs> You know, it's funny, like as you grow older and you, you accumulate responsibilities, you, you do have less time to meditate. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm sure when we talked about me meditating before I go into a meeting, that was clearly at a time when I had more time. Yeah. <laughs> um, but for me, for sure, I mean, if you can maintain a discipline of yeah. any sort of centering discipline around becoming more present and calm. Um, and, and again, I'll come back to the stress thing. Like we accumulate so much stress in life. And if you have some disciplines in your life that strip that away, whether it's running or paddleboarding or meditation, you're, you're going to play a better long game. You're yeah. going to be a better parent. You're going to be a better business partner. Um, you'll be in a be better elected official, I hope. Um, so it's, uh, yeah, for me, it's a tool. It's an important tool in the kit. And my, I was lucky that I grew up in a family where meditation was not a religious practice. It was like this thing you do. Mm-hmm. And so my brother and I learned when we were quite young and it's just, it's something we've taken through life. That's yeah. cool. Do you yeah. go past that down to your boys now? Oh yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's a, it's a secret sauce thing. I think for people that, that get into, that are lucky enough to have the space to get into it, but it's also just so scientifically researched now. Like yeah. I think, you know, it, it's an important thing for people in modern society to, to figure out, I think if, if they can. Yeah. Our lives are so hectic and fast-paced yeah. that it's almost like a, it's a rebellion to turn your phone off for 10 to 15, 20 minutes yeah. and not do anything, yeah. right? And, and to admittedly so say this is purely selfish, like I'm, this is self-indulgent yeah. right now, yeah. me time or whatever, and to say I'm not going to be accessible, I'm not going to be checking the social feeds, whatever it is, like I'm just going to turn it all off. Like it, it feels scandalous, right? To put the phone on airplane mode, but and it, we need it. Yeah. And you know, it gets us out of the cycle of being reactive and being more responsive, mm. um, to create a little bit of space. I mean, you know what it's like at the end of the day, someone fires a comment at you back at home and you might just have like a comment ready to go back, but like taking a moment to hear the comment to pause, to respond. For me, meditation is, an, is a metaphor for that in life is that it, it creates just that little extra bit of space yeah. that allows a more compassionate thought or gesture to come through, a more creative idea, a more reflective moment around how you behave maybe. So it's, it, yeah, I think it gets us out of that mode a little bit of, of just, just reacting to everything, to yeah. life. Yeah. Hmm. I love that. That's very good. Take a breath. <laughs> yeah we need it yep um should we take a jump into the the business uh the business chapter of Bell Win? yeah sure so you've gone across Canada into the states across the world kind of sp- spreading this kindness um how did that um transition into your your professional life your, your business career um I don't know what was before this but uh you know, you co-founded Blow. Um, uh, you worked with, you were the president of Nurse Next Door of fra- franchise operations or? Vice president for Canada, U.S. operations, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. those were, you know, some, some lofty positions. How did you go from, you know, spreading the kindness revolution to 
uh, putting on that that hat and building these businesses. Yeah, who let me in through the door after that crazy social enterprise phase? Hey, there is a really good YouTube clip that still exists of the. Uh, it's like a news clip. Oh, and it's, okay. it's you guys running around and giving massages to people in White Rock, and oh, that's so, so it funny. still it yeah. still exists. It's so if anyone wants to <laughs> see, we were we were teasing before that you guys were like the boy band of kindness. Yeah, yeah. There, there was it was it was a funny it was a funny thing. We were just so youthful and energetic, <laughs> but but it was such a it was such a passionately held belief, right? That yeah. we yeah. we thought we could we could you know pay it forward with these random Mexican kindness. Yeah, but I, I think you know I think philosophically. You know, coming out of that tour, understanding the power of random acts of kindness and compassion and, and, you know, what happens when communities build social capital, I think it just became a lens for me around my leadership and also the kind of organizations I wanted to be a part of. So I hadn't quite articulated a purpose statement for myself at that point, but I understood being in a place where people, community and business meet was an exciting place for me to be. Mm-hmm. And it was, you know, maybe even in some ways a sensing of like that triple bottom line that became popular a little bit later on, but it was, it was never a sole, um, you know, any, well, take nurse next door, for example, their purpose statement was making lives better. Mm-hmm. It wasn't to be Canada's largest home healthcare franchise company. It, it was it was to make lives better. It was to heal people and support families and help them cope. Um, when the people they love the most, their their elders, their most vulnerable, are in an end of life situation or need that compassionate support. So, it was um, that that experience of extreme kindness really helped me shape where I wanted to go in the kind of work I wanted Translated to do. Translated into the business values that Big you time. worked yeah. with and and led with. Yeah, for sure, and and also. These were, you know, these were exciting companies when I co-founded uh, Blow, Blow Dry Bar with Judy and Devin Brooks. Um, this was a, you know, it never, it, it, it was a business category that didn't really exist. Um, and it was so about... those that don't know, just like... Uh, oh, yeah, sorry. Yeah. On, on, on what Blow is. Yeah, because um, people could think many things when they, <laughs> yeah. when they, when they hear that. It's a catchy um, name. So, so Blow was a first-to-market hair concept where we didn't cut or color hair we only washed and styled it and as a young man I didn't really understand necessarily the 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 market opportunity but so the core idea came from Judy and Devin Brooks and they said yeah no like women when they're heading into a board meeting a job interview maybe they're going out on a date like it doesn't matter how cool your shoes are how confident your outfit makes you feel hair is like the starting point and that may or may not be true for most people, but I was listening to the pitch and I was going, okay, this is really interesting and cool. And I love that the, the core of this idea, the product wasn't hair, the product was confidence. Mm. It was people could come in and, and we, you know, we serviced men and women. And um, so it wasn't just women that were looking for, for a great hairstyle, but you know, you relax, you get a shampoo, you get a great style, and then you go out and you kill that that job interview. Um, it was about confidence. And, but what was really fun about it as a business category was it was open seven days a week from 7am till nine at night for the most part. Whereas, you know, if you want to book, you know, an appointment at hair salon, it's for sure not seven days a week. It's definitely not at 7am. So we were getting customers that were, you know, hitting the bar in Yale town, which was our first corporate location at 7am hopping on a plane to Calgary for a big board meeting. It was really fun to see. 
and um, it caught on like wildfire. So we built three locations in the first year in Vancouver and then quickly started franchising across Canada. Um, we exited the, the company after three years in you know 18-ish locations. Yeah. And it's since gone on to, I think it's 95 locations is the last count I did globally. So wow, it's been a really fun success story. Yeah. That's cool. I love the part about confidence. And um, it's like, it really like a, ahead of the time of a, a self-care experience too. Um, you know, taking 30 minutes, 40 minutes, whatever for yourself before entering the business day or jumping on the flight or going on that first date. Just yeah. giving that, that space in between yeah. uh, that you mentioned before, a little time to breathe. Um, and you know, a little bit of self-care before that next step. Totally. I, I, it was so fun to see people come in and the energy they had on the way out. Like it felt like you were giving a gift to people. Like they, they were floating on air when they walked out. It was a fun business to be in and with a business lens too, right? Like we're, we're in it to make people feel great and have social impact, of course, but you, you know, you want to make money and know that you're building a good business model. The thing that was so interesting was the year we opened it, um, within months, we opened it in 2007 with the first location, but full global economic meltdown, you know, 2008, 2009, so not a great time <laughs> to do a fast growth startup new business concept in a recession. Um, but we discovered really quickly it was recession proof because people were stretching out their haircuts. Yes, right. You know, and they were actually putting more into blowouts, especially women in, in, in the corporate world. So they were, they were stretching the haircut a little bit and getting a few more blowouts on the way. So we discovered that the, the model was recession proof too, which yeah. was really fun. Similar to juice and smoothies, in some ways, it, it was it's a small investment to feel good. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's right. Um, so you know, I think what you guys were doing was approachable to the masses in that sense. I remember it's so cool that you could look on a menu just like you would at a restaurant and kind of choose your experience. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you know, you've always been a a a leader. You know, since the the acts of the random acts of kindness, the the revolution to to blow. Um, what do you consider integral to, to good leadership? What does good leadership look like to you? You know, I find my reflections on leadership are so contextual. Like, what am I going through? What's my team going through? What am I seeing in community around me? One of the, one of the things that's top of mind for me right now is the leadership of Dr. Bonnie Henry. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think we could all tell many stories about what has impressed us or inspired us. Um, but how about starting with getting up there every single day for a year and delivering tough news <laughs> I yeah, mean, and showing up in such a consistent and even state mm-hmm. is incredible leadership to me because, you know, she has had to inject calm and order into this process that we're going through. But I think more recently, you know, she has also shown great leadership in being able to apologize and say, we, we did the wrong thing and now we're going to try something else. When those, you know, pop-up clinics were happening in the lower mainland. And I mean, you ask me, it sounded like a great idea, mm-hmm. but I, you know, there were some communications problems along the way. I guess the lineups were too long. You know, people were standing in line for hours and then not, not getting a vaccine. She owned it. She got up on the podium. She said, you know, what? we, the intent was to do the right thing. Of course it was. No one, no one doubts that, but it didn't work. And so we're going to go back to the drawing board and we're going to try something new. Sorry. Mm-hmm. 
And I just thought that was phenomenal leadership. And there was no spin. It was full ownership. And we get to look at her and go, yeah, she's human. Right. <laughs> and her team is human. And I, I would say, bridging into a, a more meta comment, that leaders now globally are being called upon to be more authentic and vulnerable. And the... The age of the pure alpha leader is is over, I think. Um, yes, I mean, do we want our leaders to bring vision and direction and point the way we do? But we want to make sure that with important pieces of that vision and mission, it's, it's built in co-creation with community, a group of people, stakeholders, um, and that we, when we take a wrong turn, we, we own it and we move on. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's maybe some dialogue around that as, as we move on, right? But, but I think that, that for me, is, is what's surfacing right now. Mm. I hear that there's a lot, of, like, through, even throughout the conversation so far, like, you've touched on a few things of being connected to community, um, listening, right, having a posture of openness and, like, just being aware of the world and the situations you're in and c- cultivating a team or a group of people around you to, to do that together with. And I think in some ways just listening to you and reflecting on that like that's that's part of I think strategic leadership is we do want in some ways like the visionary and the one person in the room like this is where the buck stops but part of that being that buck stop person I think is is creating that uh, intentional team the awareness of like it's not just me it's us yeah and so I think that's that's so important and like hearing hearing you say that I mean it's just like uh I think it's it's a good reflection of just who you are and some of the ways that you've been connected, even way back to a young a young man with some friends being like, how can we how can we do a little more good in the world, mm-hmm. even if it's like some some random act of kindness for someone, and then potentially through like bigger bigger ripples too, right? That it can yeah. be made. I think also you know as you mature as a person, forget just as a leader, you know you you appreciate in life very few things are a solo effort. Mm. You know, it, it often takes a village. It always takes a village to do something profound. Um, you know, shifting a, a community or an idea or, or starting a movement. It, it, it's never, you know, you, you might have one person catalyze something, but it always takes a team of people, a community of people. So, um, that, that is, I think kind of the exciting phase we're moving into as well. Um, and you know, that, that has also been a really interesting reflective moment, I think for, well, everyone that's dealing with COVID and I'm thinking about institutions, governments, right. But, you know, here in BC, it was a very common refrain. I think in some circles, it probably is still a refrain that we're all in this together. And that is true, but it's also not true, right? There's like a deeper reflection around that, that we know now COVID has not impacted everyone equally, right? I mean, for starters, if you live in a home with an extra room, working from home is easy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but like if you don't, and a lot of people don't, it's very difficult. So, um, and we think about racialized communities, lower socioeconomic um, layers of our society are, are being impacted in a totally different way. You hear people talking about the she session that's happening during COVID. We know it's hitting and impacting women in a totally different way as well. So sure, we're in it together, um, but we have to appreciate that not everyone's having the same experience. Mm -hmm. And this has been carnage for a lot of businesses, a lot of people. 
Um, but yeah, some people have had more quote me time <laughs> and yeah. okay, okay, great. But that's not everyone's experience. And so I think that's a part of the leadership that I think we're seeing now is, um, a recognition of that. Mm. So coming out of COVID, like yeah. what, you know, as we're hopefully coming out of it, <laughs> getting near the end of at least the, the intense restrictions, right? Even more being lifted just this week. Um, what, what do you see, like what sectors, whether in, mm-hmm. in public life, private life, like business, what sectors do you see flourishing coming out of this? Or what would you hope yeah. to see, like best case scenario moving forward? Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the big conversation I think a lot of people are having right now is if this is an opportunity to map a new course, a new mm-hmm. direction, then it's blue sky, yeah. right? Like we, we've got a, a lot of fun opportunities now with all this stimulus funding that's coming down the pike that has already come down the pike to focus some meaningful investments around where we think the puck is moving in the future. Um, but, you know, more concretely, you know, obviously hospitality, tourism, big industries that have been impacted and we're, we're hearing about, you know, the cruise ships aren't coming in right now. Right, and yeah. this is big, big money that's not coming into Vancouver, Victoria, other parts of the province. Um, especially on the coast uh, and where there's port access. So, um, you know, one thing I'm really excited about as a young person, I grew up in in the visitor economy, the tourism industry. I was a fishing guide up in Haida Gwaii for a season. Um, you know, most it's the tourism sector is the biggest employer of youth here in BC. And it's it's really like one of those laddering opportunities for young people to get a bit of experience. So, you know, when it's safe, I'm really excited for BC to welcome the world back. And I think we're we're an exciting, safe marketplace. And um, I really want to see all those businesses out there that I love visiting, whether it's in Tofino or the interior up north, you know, even the Tumblr Ridge Geo, Geo Park up there with all the dinosaur fossils. We need to get some people back into these attractions because they support local communities. Mm-hmm. Tourism is, is a really important part of a diversified economy at the local level, especially outside of urban centers in BC. Um, but I also think, um, you know, as we head toward a, a lower and eventually no carbon future, um, no one knows the exact date, but there's huge commitments around net zero by 2050, which is exciting. Um, BC really is blessed with some fundamentals economically that other markets don't have on planet Earth. And I'm thinking about even just, for example, in the Earth, from a mining sector standpoint, cobalt, lithium and copper, which are needed to electrify vehicles, you know, we have that. And we're one of the cleanest, safest, uh, most environmentally conscious jurisdictions in the world when it comes to resource extraction. So I'd love to see some of those traditional industries really get lifted to power the shift that's, mm. that's coming. Um, you know, we've heard a lot about, too, with forestry, and we, we're watching the yeah, protests in great. Ferry Creek. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I agree with the, the statement and the sentiment that the future of forestry in BC is about value, not volume, right. um, when it comes to that, that sustainable resource. But we have to speak a little more responsibly um, to the public about the opportunity and take the time to really explain it because car- carbon is trapped in trees, right? Like when you have a physical tree, it is, it is, it is a physical expression of carbon captured, right? Mm-hmm. And so if we can build with that material we're locking in carbon and the technology around cross laminated timber, like we can build high now with wood. The question is, can we crack the code on having a totally sustainable, renewable industry with that sector here in BC? I think we can, but those, that, that would be a couple of different examples, you know, tourism yeah. and then some of our primary resource sectors, clearly tech 
is an exciting opportunity for us to life sciences. Um, we're becoming, which is interesting and an addressive note, right? For big tech companies now, I hope it will not just be regional outposts. I hope we'll see more tech headquarters, you know, startups, uh, mid-stage and then ultimately maturity and growth and not have them go south to, mm -hmm. to Silicon Valley. That That's an exciting opportunity for us. So how does BC nail the hosting conditions around keeping these companies here? Right. That That's a big part of the BC I want to see in the future. Mm. And some, I mean, I, I think it's important to note uh, for those listening that um, you're following um, Nurse Next Door and Blow and, uh, you know, various other business positions you went on to be um, the president of the Chamber of Commerce for Whistler and then the president and CEO of the Chamber of Commerce for BC, right? Yes, right. correct. Yeah, yeah. well done. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so you're, you're well-versed on, on the business sphere and, and um, you know, what's happening. And I think businesses like ours have, you know, looked at people uh, like yourself for direction and advice and, and in some ways, you know, a, a sense of comfort during these scary times of COVID. And kind of using the analogy that um, of, of forestry, I think for for some industries, you know, their forest has been literally burnt and it's it's gone. So, um, but when a first forest fire happens, you know, that's where you know regrowth is is possible, and yeah. and you know it, it can make a, a forest healthier in in a lot of ways. Um, you know, industries like fitness and you know fine dining and and tourism. Um, you know, they might not be able to stay the same as they did in the past. Um, like, what do you see for the future of these business? How, how can business, like, full industries that have gone from, from here to zero, how do they, um, how do they become the phoenix and, and yeah, yeah, yeah. rebirth themselves from this, these ashes? Yeah, well, you know, I, I, I don't know that, that I have the answer to that, <laughs> except I do honor the wisdom and smarts and gumption of small business owners that have pivoted and shifted their model through COVID and are finding a way to have their business live on and maybe even thrive in many cases, actually. I mean, there's lots of exciting stories now, businesses that have changed course. I mean, one of the, one of the biggest advantages of COVID from a business perspective is we got businesses <clears throat> digitized way faster than they would have oh, yeah. otherwise. Yeah. And so, you know, I'm really sad about what might happen to a lot of mom and pop shops on main streets around BC, especially in small towns post COVID, because that's really the soul of a community, right? Like, yes, your community gathering space is hundred percent, your charities, your not-for-profits, your, your base of volunteers, but the flavor and soul and, and color of a place is, is your main street, right? And, and, you know, that little bistro, that great little gift shop, you know, the local barber, so I do think things are shifting, um, and I think the opportunity, though, is we've got a lot more small businesses competing on a bigger stage now because they've figured out how to take their business online. Mm -hmm. But I think people are still going through big shifts with, with their businesses and really trying to figure out what comes next for them. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, not to minimize um, the losses and the tragedies that have taken place during COVID, but I think we do also have to celebrate some of the wins because there's been... You know, it's taxing to open up the newspaper or, or look at the news site or your news feed and, and it's all, you know, sad truths. And I think we need to sometimes balance that with, with some of the wins out there. And I think some businesses, you know, a lot of businesses have pivoted and, and taken their, their business to places that, 
they would have never gone to had they not been forced to think critically and constructively of how to you know evolve and pivot their businesses. Yeah. So yeah. I think there are some wins like you know the just thinking off the top of my head like businesses like Legends Hall that were servicing you know mostly restaurants and then pivoted to direct to consumer like saw their businesses go from you know four or five delivery trucks to like a hundred delivery trucks and um, there's lots of stories like that and I think we need to to find space to celebrate those victories so yeah. that we can find some balance in our yeah. In the space that we're consuming news, you know? But, you know, government has a role to play steer, still here. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I, I'm not advocating for unlimited uh, bucket loads of cash yeah. to keep businesses afloat that maybe aren't as competitive or finely tuned as they should be. But um, we have an economy that we need to support out there. And I think it's easy to lose sight of what entrepreneurs put on the line when they invest. Mm -hmm in a local business. And, um, you know, you think about, I mean, I've been there, I'm sure you've been there too. I've, I've been, you know, looking at our ledger, having to dip into my own, you know, line of credit just to cover payroll to get to the next bit of cash that's hopefully coming in the door. Like I've, Absolutely. you know, I've been there and I know how that feels. So government has to remember how people are putting their their homes, their families, their retirement savings on the line. And um, again, back to this notion of coming out of COVID too, what are the right hosting conditions in our economy to make sure we attract great entrepreneurs? Young entrepreneurs want to start a business mm -hmm. that as soon as they start their business, they aren't taxed into insolvency. You know, I think especially too about the tech sector, and we spent a lot, a lot of time talking about this in the employer's health tax, which I'm not philosophically opposed to. It was far better than the MSP um, premiums that individuals used to pay. I think it needs to be tweaked, but the, the idea is great. You know, like we're loading on more taxes when um, a great new tech startup doesn't even have revenue yet, but we need them to get over the line 18 months from now. So how do we create the conditions to support that super creative entrepreneur and team to actually get to that revenue stage? Um, and I, I do see that as a responsibility of government because this is back to my larger philosophy on stuff we might talk about next is we have to create a prosperous economy so we can have tax revenues coming into government so we can send it back to people in the form of great social services. Mm -hmm. That's how the cycle works, in my opinion. And that's why it is so critical when you're hit with something like COVID to take seriously that, you know, the economy won't just look after itself. Right. We have to be thoughtful and we have to be intentional about how we support our business community. So when you look at the landscape now, yeah. so even just thinking like with the, with the kind of your, your uh, chamber of commerce hat a little bit, like how um, do, you, do you see more challenges or more opportunities out there at this, at this moment? On the economic side? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we, we have to get through a ton of challenges, but I see lots of opportunity on the other side. But for me... It's attached to um, a process that we all need to engage in where we redefine what success looks like for BC. Right. And part of what I fear about what we've just come through, continue to walk through with the pandemic, and it, and it makes sense on the one hand, like we're, there is really a survive mindset out there. Like we're not talking about how we thrive and grow. And there's reasons for that. I get it. But we're, you know, 
there were jurisdictions globally that were, you know, four months into the pandemic and they were mapping out their recovery strategy already. Right. So like we have to look at the competitive set globally, who are we up against? Right. Mm -hmm. And who's planning what? And so the, the opportunity coming out of this now is, is with the, as your analogy about the forest fire and you get fresh growth coming up is what, what do we want to manifest now? What do we want to have show up 10, 20, 30 years from now? And I'm talking about things like if you were to ask your future self, you would, you would ask a question like, um, yeah, am I catching light high-speed rail to work or am I still stuck in traffic? Right. Um, you'd be asking myself, you know, do my kids still live here? Could, could, did they end up being able to afford to live here? Did they find a good job? Um, you know, is my local Indigenous community uh, doing exciting things with the resource base that they have? And are, are, are they feeling great about who they are and, and what they're capable of doing? You know, these are really interesting burning questions, and I think, but I think we have to, we have to ask them now mm -hmm. to figure out what the policy solutions are 10, 20 years from now. And I worry that with, especially in the, in the context of politics, we think in these really short four-year cycles, right? Right. We think in these short mandate cycles. And so how do we get to thinking longer term where um, we can activate some really exciting stuff for a jurisdiction like BC that is so blessed? Mm-hmm. It's the meditation mindset, right? You, yeah. you do it, not so much for the short term, but for the long term gains. It's a small investment yeah. now, but so that down the road when this thing happens, I don't react yeah. negatively. Yeah. You can have that moment and say, okay, well, what do we do next? That's right. So what yeah. do we do next? If you were, <laughs> if you were to run the show? Yeah. yeah what's, what's, what, what would you do next? And maybe a leading question, what's next for you? Yeah, yeah, sure. So, um, so yes, I, I will be announcing shortly that um, I intend to run for the leadership of the BC Liberal Party, which is, you know, 70% uh, dread and 25% excitement. <laughs> um, you know, it's not a decision ma you make lightly. My, my first uh, consultant on that decision was my wife. And, yeah. it's, um, what was you know, your reaction? You know, she, she's incredible. So, I, I mean, she's a, a phenomenal entrepreneur and, and she's also a, a pediatric intensive care nurse. So she's, she's a phenomenal woman um, and, and a creative entrepreneur and, and very purposeful about her life and our family. And she, uh, she knows who she married, I think. <laughs> so she's fully in support. But we, we recognize it's, it's, it's a long road and it, it could take a lot. But, um, yeah, so, you know, I... Um, I'm really excited about this next step. For me, this connects through to the purpose stuff we talked about earlier um, around impact and coming together with a brave group of people, which in this case would be everyone in British Columbia, mm. to talk about what does success look like 10, 20 years from now. And yeah, I'm, I'm ready for that journey. Amazing. So, you know, you're a successful business guy. You understand business. Um, you could have a very long and fruitful business path if you, if you so so cho chose, uh, why get into politics? Well, you know that expression, you know, once you know something, you can't unknow it. Yes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I know where I'm called yeah. to contribute yeah. and, and drive impact. And, and this is a space now, there's lots of ways for that to show up. Politics right now is, is calling to me. Yeah. Um, but I have spent almost the last 10 years in the public policy space yeah. and, the opportunity to work at that genetic level um, legislatively is really exciting, but I, I see that's where the true lasting change starts. And is that um, how you project that? Has that changed since you have, since you've had two, two boys? 
I think it's, it's just underscored the urgency. Yeah. Like now could not be less opportune, <laughs> you know, with right. two kids, two kids under the ages of two, basically. Um, but you look at your kids and you just yeah. think, well, yeah, I, you know, t- to the, the question around like, will my kids stay here? Will they af- be able to afford to stay in this place? It yeah. really lights a fire under you to, mm-hmm. to answer that question in a positive way. Um, and, and for me, this party is a, is a, has an incredible history. It has a brand problem today mm-hmm. and it doesn't, it isn't resonating with young people the way I think it could. But I, you know, we had a conversation before the interview kicked off. One of the reasons why this is the right party for me, two, two things, given the modern context we're in. One is that, and not many people know this, in 2008, the BC Liberal Party ratified and put into place the first revenue-neutral carbon tax on planet Earth. That's cool. Um, that was hugely disruptive. It was very progressive. And it was married, it was done within the context of we can also, because it's an added cost, right, on the economy, but the environment is important and we think we can create also a vibrant economy within the context of that. And we did in BC, which for me is the perfect expression of like, it's not an either or decision about the future. We can do both. It'll take hard work. We have to calibrate the policy. We have to be really clear about how we talk to and engage the public in these big policy shifts, but we can do it. That's the first reason. The second reason is that I, I do believe in the fundamental um, sort of precept that for a healthy society that can care for people, government needs a lot of tax revenue because it costs a lot of money to pay for social services. And to do that, we need a thriving economy of small and big business that's paying their taxes. So to kickstart that virtuous cycle, we need to be a place that attracts investment, that um, has the right hosting conditions, a phrase I keep using, to attract and keep businesses here and keep them growing. And yes, we have to make progress on the environment. We have to be uh, thoughtful about how we support our most vulnerable communities. Are we making progress on Indigenous reconciliation? Are we standing up and showing leadership on um, you know hate crimes that we're seeing and some of the institutional racism that's it's on display all over the place now and all the way through to women are still lagging behind men in terms of equal pay for equal or better work. Mm -hmm. So, um, I see lots of opportunity on the social side for this party to really become a more modern and inclusive party in that regard. I think that spirit's always been there. I don't think it's always shown up in the policy. So for me, that's what this party, that's why this party is the future because they know how to hardwire the, the economic stuff. Mm-hmm. But now we're going to go farther on people than we've ever gone. Mm. We have to. That's cool. Um, kind of in the last, I don't know, eight, 10 years, we've seen, like when I think of more in the, the federal sense, when I think of liberals growing up, I think of Jean Chrétien and kind of like central leaning party. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, maybe left environmentally, a little bit left, but more, a little bit right economically, but kind of a centralist party as a whole. But in the last decade or so, we've seen this division of left and right, and people have kind of lost the ability to, to have conversations and to find what unites them versus what divides them. Um, moving forward, um, how do we put that aside and focus on unity versus division? Yeah, I mean, you just asked the million-dollar question, right? <laughs> I mean, first of all, in Canada versus the U.S., we're we're a much more centrist yeah. politically um, country, and and in a lot of ways, 
the brand divisions in our politics is a bit of a uh, smoke screen's the wrong word, but it it's it can fool the the passive political observer because we're so we're we're so close. All yeah. our parties are very close to the middle. But you're 100 percent right. I mean, our largely in Canada and BC, our two party political system yeah. is is selling people that you either have to pick people yeah. or you have to pick the economy. But let's let's include our Green Party too, or you have to pick the environment, right? Yeah. The reality is that is not a sustainable long long term play. Mm-hmm. So we need a political party that can get people into the middle. Mm-hmm. And and when I talk to British Columbians, and I've talked to hundreds of them in the last four months, one on one, not even in groups, one on one, long extended conversations. Everyone, pretty much everyone, ninety nine percent says I'm socially very liberal. Yeah. I'm very progressive. I'm inclusive. I want to see diverse, uh, diverse of leaders. I want to see inclusive societies. I want to make progress on homelessness. I want to fight and, and solve the opioid uh, epidemic. Mm-hmm. And they're also saying fiscally, I don't want to get into generational debt. <laughs> so can we please have like a sensible, fiscally responsible party that is very into people? Mm-hmm. That doesn't seem impossible to me. And that's the middle. That person is not a unicorn. It is the majority. But the political um, opportunity in, in our modern political discourse is you go kind of to the fringe, right? Yeah. Because it's clickbait and it's, it's easier. It takes more time to bring in the middle because you have to show up as a moderate, thoughtful, non-gaslighting type of person right. or party, right? But that's, that's the fu- I think that's the future and that's where civil society comes from well, long I think, term. Yeah, I think in many ways like now perhaps – is a, it's so funny. I feel like as you're speaking, I'm like, man, this is either like the best time to get into politics or the worst time, right? As you're, as you're jumping in, there's so many things that are going on, right? Emerging from COVID and what's going to happen with the economy and how are people going to respond to, to getting back into, you know, life and this idea of like, are we going to go, are things going back to normal or are we forging a new normal, like a new way? And so to me, it's like, it's, there's so many, there's so many opportunities in this moment. And there's also a lot of things that would be, I think, really, um, really quite challenging to overcome. So maybe like, what are, what are a couple of things that you personally are looking forward to the most, either in terms of opportunities or things you see as like, okay, I really want to tackle this, notwithstanding like what you just shared about emerging as a new uh, putting putting economy and people together yeah. as a platform or, or as an ideology for yeah for yeah yeah honestly I think the the top most lofty goal in all of this would be to create a space in our pol- a provincial political discourse where people are understanding they belong in that middle and they're moving toward it and they feel like there's a space that's being held that's responsible and evidence based and sensible. And they belong in that space mm. um, because that, that is, that's what will move us into the next phase is dialogue, not entrenched partisan positions. It's coming together and, and uniting people. So if we could create a more balanced dialogue around our society and what traditionally people have thought is separate things or you have to choose this or that, like people or the economy or the environment. No, folks. We can do it all. Yeah. It will take some work, but we can do it all. And that's what gets me really excited about the mm-hmm. future. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've talked a lot about values, our personal mission statement. So you've gone from having this, you know, 
these personal random acts of kindness to bring this um, ideology into how you show up in the workplace to going to the public sector and representing you know business across BC. Um, how do you go from these personal values to now um, having values, a value system that could potentially represent a province? What, what does that look like for you? Right, so is the question kind of how do you how do you bring that ethos into a maybe an old frame or yeah you're able to transition it from you know personal to business to to you know public how do you yeah. um, transition it into you know a value system that can represent you know right. the collective basically yeah well I I think you know first of all I should give some kudos and I should honor all the elected officials everywhere, <laughs> provincially and, in, and across Canada, whether it's municipal um, or provincial proper, you know, all of our elected officials are doing their best, right? I really do think that. Mm-hmm. Um, the partisan stuff always comes out and the hyper-partisan stuff, which, which is not what I think especially engages young people, it, you know, it, it also comes out. But my belief is a lot of us, in British Columbia really do share the same values, but we have to create a space where, you know, first of all, politically, we see ourselves in our elected officials. So in the case of, you know, the BC Liberal Party, really embarking on a journey of renewal that embraces a really diverse range of candidates, age, ethnicity, sexual orientation, um, you know, parts of the province, perspectives, so to first of all, to have a, a party of elected officials that reflects the province, I think is really important. And I, I think the value stuff will, will come with that. But there, there is a conversation to be had right now for all free enterprise parties, traditional free enterprise parties around the world, I think, at least in sort of maybe Western democratic countries, to appreciate that the pure business first platform is not an electable platform anymore. Like you have to put people in the middle of the picture and yes, balance budgets when you can and be really creative about creating competitive environments so your businesses can compete with the world. But there, there is a, there's a reckoning happening around, around that conversation. But I think the values will, will naturally come out of that conversation. Rise from the people. Creating a courageous team. Yeah, totally. And do you think uh, running a, a business... Um, and running a province, do you think there's a similar mindset between between the two, or how do they? Yeah, sorry, I don't I don't know if I missed that maybe on the first round, but yeah, no. So yes, a hundred percent. Like I I do think we need to bring a business lens to how we how we run this place. The difference is though, you know, like the stakeholder structure or the ownership structure of a business drives certain decisions yeah. versus your shareholders here are the entire population of British Columbia, right? So you are elected to govern and serve the people. And so there there are some analogies, but then you can only carry them so far. At the end of the day, you answer to the people, the best governments. The successful governments, the governments that drive impact, they answer to the people. And and they also mount an important vision. But I, I think especially coming out of a pandemic, we will be having some tougher conversations around balancing the budget in years forward. Yeah. And that's a business conversation. Yeah. And so, you know, I look forward to bringing that that lens to that conversation. But my, my career path has been around serving people, and I, I look forward to bringing that too. Mm-hmm. I love that. 
Um, just be mindful of time. Um, maybe we've got a couple more questions here, and then we'll we'll wrap things sure. up with yeah, a few yeah. rapid fire. Um, Dina, is there any any ones that um, you want to make sure we get to? Well, I think uh, I think we've touched on it kind of loose loosely in in a lot of what you've said, but uh, we've talked about like mental health and and well being mm-hmm. and the health of the economy. What can we do to get people back to host well? I love that. I love mm-hmm. that phrase to host people well here, but uh, in, in your opinion, what does, what does a healthy British Columbia look like to you? Yeah, gosh. Well, I mean, I, I, let's, you know, start with social services, right? Like we're, we're looking after all the people that need our help and support. Um, there are a lot of people that have slipped into mental health unwellness. You know, I'm not a physician or a doctor or a counselor, so I, I don't have all the perfect vocab around this, but we, we do need to take some time out to check in with people uh, for whom, you know, the pandemic has really hammered them harder than others. Uh, I'm really concerned about what's happening, not just in the downtown east side in Vancouver, but in communities all over the province, drug addiction, homelessness. Um, we need to come up with um, an all-party solution, a nonpartisan solution to to make some progress on that. That's that's a big part of it, a big part of how we work toward wellness in this province because it's not it's so easy to other those people right quote unquote when we're driving past Strathcona Park or we're driving through the downtown east side or um you know Trail BC is having issues Penticton uh, Oliver it's it's all over the place um but we need to we need to lean into this one um and understand that it's not just people that have um, suffered trauma and you know maybe have mental health issues. These are the the children of middle class families that have become addicted to it. Like it's touching everyone, mm-hmm. you know, and it's a complicated uh, problem for sure. But that's a big piece of it. I, I liked our conversation around meditation. You know, I think there's some really fun things we can do for children and youth coming out of this pandemic as well. It's been really hard for them. I mean, think about kids that haven't seen their peers and they're, you know, studying remotely. And we, like we talked about earlier, maybe they have a home that is conducive to that. Maybe they don't, they miss their grad, mm-hmm. um, to, to really think about our youth and the next generation, how we support them coming out of this is key. Of course, top line. Um, we have discovered, we knew they were there, but they've been put on full display it is not acceptable how we are caring for our elders mm-hmm. um, in long, long-term care facilities. Not all these facilities are, are equal. Um, there are exceptional facilities out there, but there are, we have problems and we need to really address how we care for um, our elders in, in communities. So, I mean, this is a long conversation, but those Definitely. are a couple of uh, high-level it, thoughts. It's funny um, that you kind of touched on the, it's not funny, but it's interesting that you touched on the elders because we've we've spoken on this topic on previous podcasts, um, and just you know having traveled various places in the world, it's interesting how um, you know other cultures and regions and, and and places their elders are their their connection to the past. That's their wisdom. It's where they go to when they have a problem or a question, and for whatever reason we've we've missed that point and we have put a lot of our, our elders into these, you know, seniors' homes and, and isolated them from a place of leadership um, and a place of, of you know, wisdom and history. Um, and I think it's something we need to change 
to have a healthier sense of community. Yeah. Um, it's easier to forget the past if we put the past in a box, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in a lot of places in our, in Canada and BC, for sure. A lot of people are doing more multi-generational living. Um, I'm doing it right now with my father-in-law and it's been magic having, you know, my, my father-in-law is a senior. He's, he's in great health right now. Thank goodness for that. But seeing him, uh, you know, play with my kids is, is so fun and so exciting. I mean, you know, look, not, not everyone is in a position to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, but what I'm saying, I appreciate what you're saying that there, there's a, there's a gift of wisdom and experience and love that if we can create a society where we can spend more time with our elders and, and create spaces and places where we can be with them mm-hmm. and not be separate from them, um, I think it's better for all of us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Agreed. Uh, we're temporarily, temporarily doing that as well yeah. with my in-laws. And the, the joke is like, I don't know if we're going to leave. Yeah. <laughs> right. Cause yeah. we're all together. It's like, extra extra hands and eyes and entertainment for the kids and then just the the stories that are shared around the dinner table oh yeah right you from from grandma and grandpa down to the the five-year-old right and this everyone's chiming in and there's something beautiful even even though it's family there's something beautiful and communal about that experience and the intergenerational and different ideas and approaches And, and let's be honest after 16 months of lockup, mom and dad are boring. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> like the kids, the kids yeah. need some variety. Yeah. Um, we're finding that my, my father-in-law, Lorenzo, he's, he's Italian and, uh, you know, it's so cool. He, he, you know, he comes upstairs for dinner. Uh, he's speaking Italian to my son, Guy, yeah. you know, they're playing fun games. They're teasing each. Yeah. It's, it's the best. It's, it's, so it's, fa- it's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, any other questions before we get to the rapid fire? Let's rapid fire. Okay. Okay. Super lofty. Let's just say for the sake of fun and role play. Yeah. You're the prime minister now. Prime minister. Okay. That's not even the goal, but let's, let's pretend. Let's go. (laughs) What are three policies you would implement right away if you're the prime minister? Oh gosh. I'm so sorry. This is hard for rapid fire. Um, let, let's just go by, by theme and by category. Sure. I, Canada can and should lead the world in terms of um, life sciences. Mm. And I would love to create a, a national ecosystem where we are innovating some of the most creative solutions to health issues um, and creating you know, technology solutions for hospitals, care facilities, all that kind of stuff. I, I just think that's such an exciting space. We've, we've got great um, leaders in that category. So what kind of an environment supports that? Um, I writ large to be the most competitive, you know, stable, clean, fair democracy on planet Earth would be incredible because we would attract foreign investment into business and infrastructure that would really create opportunities for all of Canadians down the road. Um, Canada is punching a little below its weight right now. Um, and foreign direct investment is something countries measure as a metric of success. So that's an area where I'd, I'd want to see us perform a little better. And then obviously the environment, right, is a really exciting space as well. Uh, Canada's committed to net zero by 2050. That would be something I would see us keeping pace with. The, the, the exciting opportunity for me would be how do you get to that net zero target without total economic disruption and meltdown? How do you bring people and business and communities along? So no one's left behind. Mm. I like it. Good job. Sounds good. <laughs> okay. Nice. <laughs> um, being a, I mean, okay, we'll get to shorter ones for rapid fire. Um, being a father of two, yeah. um, what does it mean to be a role model to you? Or what does being a role model look like? Do you know what? I don't know what a role model looks like because so, sometimes you're just so exhausted. You're just trying to get by. 
but my my true north is patience and compassion and we've really enjoyed i'm sure covid is partly to blame but because we've been all locked up and isolated we're dialoguing so much with our toddler it's not goo goo gaga stuff so yeah. i and but before he was into the world of of sophisticated language we just started talking to him a lot mm. and um that has been a really fun like they're just so smart you know and we read a ton of books. We do a lot of conversations, even if he's not answering. And he's he's understanding. Um, that for me is really important. That's cool. Okay, last serious-ish one, and then we'll do some fun ones. Uh, what advice do you have for future entrepreneurs? Future entrepreneurs. Um, so, like young entrepreneurs starting up a business in BC, mm-hmm. uh, launch with a business plan. Yeah. Uh, know what you're doing. Do some research uh, for sure. But don't think you have to do it all on your own or you have to reinvent the wheel. Um, this, is a, this is actually an important economic component. We really have to wrap our heads around. The boomers are retiring. They are brilliant business people. We have literally thousands of businesses that are going to be up for sale very soon here in British Columbia because they want to get out. They want to transition. They're thriving. They're profitable. They're established. They're, 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 they exist. So I think a lot of young people that want to become entrepreneurs consider buying a business. Mm. Consider buying a business. I think that's great advice because my dad was a small business owner for 30 plus years and a lot of his peers are too and they have these, like you mentioned, thriving, successful, profitable businesses and they don't know what the heck to do with them. Yeah. Um, So enter your answer. Perfect. Yeah. And we need all of these traditional business models to be reimagined. (laughs) Like this is the point. So in some ways, I think it's way more exciting to take over a family food business and completely reinvent how you do, how you look at supply chain, how you decarbonize your delivery fleet, you know, all this stuff, right. That you guys are thinking about. So take, take a traditional old school, but awesome business and make it even better. Hmm. That's good. That's good wisdom right there. Um, I got a few more. Do you got, you got, yeah. Uh, True rapid fire. What's the uh, the last book you've read? Last book I've read. Um, working on, um, gosh, David Cameron, one of our oh, shared nice. buddies, gave it to me. It's about Abe Lincoln. It's brilliant. I'm just forgetting the title. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna have to Google it after. Yeah, we'll tweet it. Notes. Like yeah, when, yeah, when yeah. we launch, uh, you yeah. know that last question Val didn't know the answer yeah, to. Yeah, uh, yeah, I want to sure. say it's like League of Rivals, Team of Team oh, of Rivals. Yeah, yeah. I think Team of Rivals. Yeah, there we go. That rings a bell. I'm really failing hard at the, the rapid fire. Oh. To, to jump on that one, what is the one or two books that you've gifted to others the most in your life? I just sent Georgie uh, Values by Mark Carney. Cool. Um, and what else did I give someone recently? Oh, Ian McEwen, uh, British author, um, Machines Like Me. I just oh. sent that to a friend on the island. Cool. Very futuristic uh, AI contemplation. Very cool. Uh, what's a documentary that's had an impact on your life? Do you know what? I have to say, we we did watch Seaspiracy. Yeah. And yes. I haven't done the research to find out how 100% on point yeah. it is, but it gave me a lot to think about in cool. terms of uh, food supply chain from the ocean. Mm-hmm. Well, if you ever want to talk about it, you're sitting with a couple of vegans here. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Welcome to that conversation yeah. Yeah. Uh, off, off, off uh, post podcast anytime. <laughs> yeah. Um, have you watched the other ones, like Cowspiracy or Game Changers or any of those ones? No, I, I know them, but our yeah. my my evening doc <laughs> viewing time has been <laughs> severely curtailed <laughs> recently. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Any favorite shows on Netflix, past or, <sighs> past or present? Honestly, the fantasy stuff for me is Chef's Table. Ooh, nice. that's such a good it, series. It's I just I go into pure disconnect happiness mode. I yeah. and the stories they're so emotional oh, yeah. and they're from all around the world and the colon you know it's just it's so diverse and cool. Um, I have loved that. I'm just thinking is there is there anything else my partner and I have been watching that I've really liked? I'm gonna go with Chef's Table. Cool. Yeah. Uh, where's somewhere that you've traveled to that you'd like to go back to and somewhere that you haven't been that you would like to go to once we're allowed to travel again? You know, I'd love to go back and see my wife's family in Italy again. Cool. We just love it there. It's, it's so fun. And it, it's a, it's a family oriented culture. It's just, it's incredible. Uh, someplace new, uh, I gravitate toward colder climbs and adventure, uh, whereas my partner doesn't so much. So I might be going by myself, but I like, I'd love to get up into the Arctic. Mm. I think that'd be so fun. I haven't been. Cool. What are a few places locally, because I know you've traveled a lot locally, shout out to some future tourism spots that we need to focus on. Yeah. Um, yeah, oh, what, yeah. are some, what are some local destinations that we can be excited about? Gosh, well, you know, I, just a shout out for Indigenous communities and the tourism product they're putting together in, in terms of authentic cultural experiences. Like, you can go into so many communities around BC and just get incredibly connected to those um, indigenous cultures and their experiences. So I, I would say seek that out. Yeah. It's amazing in BC. Um, you know, gosh, the island, the interior, northern BC, north coast, it's all beautiful. Haida Gwaii is breathtaking. Um, I did mention the Tumblr Ridge Geopark uh, earlier on in this conversation. Yeah. So it's an incredible road trip into central and eventually northern BC in the Peace region. And uh, you want to go see some big dinosaur fossils and take your kids. Epic. Very cool. Uh, now that restaurants are opening up, uh, favorite date spot for dinner? Oh, probably Nook nice. in the city. Nice. Yeah, that's great. I good, love it. Good stuff there. Right on. Um, you got a go-to album to listen to? Yeah, I'm listening to a ton of Led Zeppelin right now. Oh, right. come on. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Um, and actually, um, uh, Leon Bridges. Oh, so good. Incredible. Yeah. I just, yeah. So, I, so good. I've been digging on it, yeah. As a former Whistler guy, uh, skier or snowboarder? Snowboard. Nice. Right on. Um, do you run at all? Are you running? Yeah, I'm a runner. Not as much as I'd like to, but do you love it? Nice. Music yeah. or no music? Uh, music's a problem because you got to carry or put the phone in your pocket. Yeah. So no music. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Where, what's your running route? Where yeah, you favorite, like favorite route or favorite distance? Yeah, right now, East Van down to New Brighton Park. A couple laps oh, of the park and up the hill it. again. Um, I can do a, you know, a middle distance, but these days, like a couple K is perfect. Just go. get me to my 20 minute minimum. Yeah. Yeah. We've, got a, little, we've got a little secret route from New Brighton that we'll have to take you on sometime. It goes through oh, yeah. Trans-Canada Trail there. Oh, very cool. Awesome. Starting from New Brighton. Would love to. Like a little secret beach. We'll, secret. we'll take you there Okay. Sometime. I'm down. Right on. Um, do you want to finish with the closing question, Dean? Yeah, this is uh, this is our new one that we're gonna we're gonna close with. So uh, obviously, we're here on the podcast a little more good. So we just want to know, in your words, in your ideas, what does a little more good mean to you? Yeah, you know what? Let, let's go back to one of the earlier themes in the conversation. A little a little more good to me um, is this idea that you don't have to change the world. You can just commit to a great gesture, a nice gesture. Um, and for me that, you know, that would be like a random act of kindness. You can just go out there, do something nice, smile, give someone a compliment, hold open a door and ask them to pay it forward. Amazing. Uh, well, thank you, Val. Um, I appreciate you taking the time to sit down and chat with us. It's great to catch up. It's great to see you. 
Um, we wish you all the all the best um, in the future endeavors, and mm-hmm. I know that uh, wherever your path leads, it's uh, going to be one that I follow with excitement, and uh, I know lots of success uh, awaits you. Yeah. Thank, thank you, Zach. You're going to be out there creating impact, obviously. Uh, where can people find you, follow you, learn from you, support you? Yeah, so the website will be live shortly. It's uh, valetwin.ca. And uh, yeah, would love to would love to hear from people and um, let's get involved in this process. Whether you vote for me or not, or this party or not, doesn't matter. Get involved for sure. But it's been a real honor and it's been fun. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks, Val. All right, everyone. So what did you think? Hopefully, you enjoyed that conversation. Um, our first kind of foray into politics. So. Really, really enjoyed having Val on, hearing about uh, himself as a person, uh, both in the private sphere, as a business leader, and now potentially as a future political leader. So uh, be sure to uh, check Val out on his, uh, on his social campaign, his social media, and for his campaign. And also uh, give us a follow, like, and subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. That would be a huge help. And as always, we want to encourage you to get out there and do a little more good. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.